Good to have you guys here. Hey, I want to welcome in our other congregations all over uh, the place. My name is Chad Kinzer. I joined the Frontline family uh, just a few weeks ago, and I'm privileged to stand in and share the Word of God with you today. Uh, Josh will be back next week, and so it'll be privileged to have him back with us. If you've got a Bible this morning, go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. Today, we're kicking off a brand new series we're calling Free to be Human, Embracing Our Limitations. Uh, So we're really excited about where this series is going to take us and what we're going to be talking about the next few weeks. Uh, I believe this series is deeply relevant uh, for us as a church and especially kind of as a people uh, living in our time. So just kind of give a forecast uh, of where we're headed the next several weeks. We're going to be trying to bring to the surface the heart of a tension that all of us feel, a tension that all of us know about, a tension that brings us some stress and some anxiety and some fear, a tension that exhausts us. And what I'm talking about is the tension of our own humanity, the tension of our own limitations. So all of us feel this, all of us know this, and what happens very often is that everything in us screams to say, no, it's not true, and we pretend like our limitations aren't there, we try to shove them under the rug, or what ends up happening for most of us is we work tirelessly to overcome them in an effort to prove ourselves to ourselves and to everyone around us to say, see, look, I'm more than what you thought I was. I'm more than what I thought I was. So we do this, right, because we live in a world that's Darwinian to the core. It's survival of the fittest. It's the strongest survive, right? It's the fittest among us. They're the ones who are glorified. And every day in a thousand different ways, We breathe the air at work when we drive through our neighborhoods and see what everyone else around us has and all the possessions they have. We we hear a thousand different ways all the time that our sum total of worth in life comes down to what can you produce? What can you acquire for yourself? How fast can you produce it? How fast can you acquire and how much can you have? That's our sum total of worth. And so if we're not careful, right? And most of the time we're not what ends up happening is that we run ourselves ragged, meeting the expectations or trying to meet the expectations of everyone around us and all the expectations we have for ourselves inside of us. And in the process, we end up losing ourselves and we lay ourselves on the altar of the pressures we feel to be everything, to know everything, to be everywhere, to fix everything, right? But here's what's gonna happen in the scriptures. We're gonna open the Bible and we're gonna find that God isn't asking us to shed our humanity. In fact, he's gonna, he's gonna invite us deeper into it. After all, he sent his son to join us in it, right? So, so that our limitations, what we're gonna find in the scriptures, our limitations are actually our connection to grace. Our places of weakness are the places where we come to see that God really is who he says he is, a provider, And those places where we we start to actually recognize our neediness instead of denying it are actually the places where we can begin enjoying our true design as image bearers, right? So for the next several weeks, here's what we're going to do. We're going to explore what it looks like to kind of get rid of this Messiah complex mentality that we have to actually be everywhere, do everything, know everything, fix everything, shed that and instead find where the gospel meets us in all of that and, and what Jesus is making us to be. So, so here's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about the really chipper topics of dependence and weakness and need, right? 
We're gonna talk about these things because there's this constant pull inside of us towards self-sufficiency and independence. And this is what we're gonna pick up in Acts chapter 17. I wanna begin our time together by reading this scripture, praying, and we'll jump in from there. So if you don't have a Bible, the words will be on the screen behind me. We're looking at Acts 17, verses 24 through 28. And these words come to us this morning under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, which means when we read these words, they come to us with the very same authority as though Jesus himself were standing in this room speaking these words. That's the power of the word of God. And so the voice of King Jesus speaks to us like this, Acts 17, verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined the allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should, that we should seek God and perhaps feel our way toward him and find him. Yet, yet, he's actually not far from each one of us. For in him, we live and we move and we have our being. This is the word of God. Let's, let's pray. Father, we come now in the name of Jesus, our King, and by the power of the Holy Spirit given to us and ask that you would perk up our mind's attention, that you would spike our heart's sort of openness to hear the voice of Jesus today. All week, God, you know it. We've been running around at work in our neighborhoods and our places of leisure, and a thousand different voices have come at us all week long. In this moment, would you protect us to hear the voice of our King Jesus? Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? Would you give us ears to hear, hearts to obey, and minds to love you with, God? We need you this moment. Jesus, this is your church. Form your people. Yours is the power. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the glory forever. It's in your name we pray, King. Amen. Amen. Well, I've mentioned my family a few times. My wife and I, we have four kids, and our youngest uh, just turned three months this past week. And so here's the thing that I'm kind of feeling. As a dad now of four kids deep, right? It's kind of where I find myself. As a dad, four kids deep, I feel like there are some things I should know better by now. There, there are some things I should be more aware of. And one of those things, super elementary, that's just hitting me, one of the things I'm being reminded of is just how needy newborns are. That sounds obvious enough, right? Like, of course, they need lots of care and lots of attention, but it's like I go through this amnesia every time we sort of have added another kid to our family where uh, they have, our older three have kind of grown and they've moved beyond this phase, but I'm reminded now of like, oh yeah, you can't do anything. You, You can't do anything. So I've just done the best I know how of keeping up with my other kids as to the stages they're now in. And I've kind of forgotten a little bit of the stage they just came out of and where they've been, right? And so I'm being reminded of just how helpless my, my newborn son is. So he's three months old. And this is his entire life. Let me give you the resume of his whole life. He eats, he sleeps, he blows out diapers and looks at the ceiling fan all day. That's his life. This is his, this is his whole resume. And we love him for it. 
We love him for, we're not asking anything else of him. We don't love our son because he's able to do anything for us. We don't love him because he's able to bring anything to us. In fact, he's actually coming into our family at a great cost. We're making sacrifices just to, just to accommodate his own survival and growth. And so for any of you who have kids, you know this, like the reason you love your kids is because they're yours. That's, it's not based on them doing anything for you. They can't. It's because they're yours. And so here's what's fascinating, right? Like I'm, I'm learning this now. This is the new insight of a dad of four. My son's neediness and his weakness, they don't draw me away from him, right? It's not like we're, my wife and I are disappointed. Like, hey, when are you gonna figure out how to sit up straight? Get on with it already, be a man. Like, that's not what's happening. They don't draw us away from him. In fact, here's what's interesting. It's those very things, need, dependence, weakness. Those are the things that draw us out and bind us to him. And, and, and here's, those are the very ingredients necessary for our relationship to be established. Like it's, it's only that way and only in this context that he learns what it is to have a father, to have me as a dad, what it learns to be, what, what it looks like to have a protector and a caregiver. But it's also through those very things, he's learning to be a son. Even at three months, he's learning this, what it means to be a son, to be my son, to be cared for, to be protected. These are, his weakness and his need are the perfect ingredients where a relationship grows. So I know those aren't things we typically gravitate toward in our culture, right? Like, like weakness and dependence and need, these are things that we don't celebrate. We don't gravitate toward these things. What you hear is you hear this illustration, you go, hey, that's fine and that's well and that's good for you and your three-month-old, but hopefully he moves on past all of that stuff. There's a time and there's a place for that so long as you grow up to be strong and sufficient and able. So we've all gathered here today and no one wants to stand up and brag about all the stuff you can't do. Like no one's looking for that opportunity, right? Because there's something in us by the cultural air that we breathe. There's something in us that triggers that weakness and dependence say something about your self-worth and your value. That if you have weakness, if you have need, that you're somehow a lesser kind of human and you're somewhat of a failure, but if you can have confidence and ability, well, then now you're a success and we want to celebrate that. If you, take this, if you take this picture and you roll it up onto God, if you magnify it and roll it up onto God, here's what we're going to find. Things that we would never choose. Weakness, need, dependence. These are the very things that God uses to relate to us. And they're the only context. It's the only context where we come to see who it is that we really are, but also who it is that he really is. Our father, our savior, our liberator. And when we come down here to Acts chapter 17, this is exactly the stuff that Paul is speaking to. He's gonna give us a big, sobering vision of God, a solid vision of God and much needed for us. Who is God and who are we? So we pick up in Acts chapter 17. This is the midst of Paul's famous Mars Hill sermon. He's speaking to the famous philosophers and thinkers of his day. All around him at this moment, we read in the context, there are these monuments of self-made Greek gods. And Paul's gonna enter into this moment and he's gonna unravel all of this. He's gonna unsettle all of this and present to them, present to us the unrivaled God of the Bible. He doesn't have a man-made monument because he's not formed by human hands. God himself 
is the great definer. Look at verse 24. It says, the God who made the world and everything in it, the Lord of heaven and earth. So what Paul says is that God is the creator. God is the sustainer of all things. He was not created. He's not a created one. He has no beginning. He has always been. God is self-existent. He's the self-contained source of everything. He goes on in verse 25. He says, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives life to all mankind and breath and everything. So this is huge what Paul says here because what's happening in our lives is this constant pressure to make God look smaller and smaller and less helpful. But what Paul's doing here is giving us a big vision of who God really is. He says that God is completely sufficient within himself completely sufficient. There's no gaps in him. There's no voids in him. There's no need in him. He needs nothing from us and he needs us for nothing. He's the all providing one. Nothing is provided to him. Nothing is provided for him. It says that he alone is the giver of all life. He alone is the giver of all breath and everything. This is God. This is the God of the Bible. Now hang with me here because there's a tendency for us to read something like this. And it almost feels like God is so big, so powerful, so needless that he's this raw, unrelatable force in the sky, you know? And so we want to kind of rail against that and go, well, what does that mean for me? Which is consequently where you get this view, maybe you've heard this before, that the reason God created everything, and especially humans, the reason that God created is because somehow he was lonely and he was bored and that he had this need of companionship. And so out of his own ego, he created humans to glorify him, to somehow fill the gap in him. You've heard this before. Now, here's what's interesting about that. Like you hear that and you go, that sounds kind of nice. It sounds kind of nice to make a big deal about me that I could, I could fill some void in God. And that sounds sentimental. It sounds warm. And it sounds, it sounds like a steaming to us. But here's the problem with that view. The Bible. <laughs> the Bible's the problem with that view because nowhere in scripture do we find God putting us at the center of him as though we're the reason for him or even that we're the reason for creation. If that were so, if God needed something else to complete him, then that thing would be God. And that would make him not worthy of worship at all, right? But instead, here's what's happening over and over in the Bible. God is shown to us to be self-sufficient, self-existent. And so he did create us, right? But not because he needed us, but because of the overflow of delight, the overflow of perfect love that had always existed in eternity past through the holy society of Father, Son, Spirit, the Godhead. Overflow of love there creates in delight and he made us in his image to reflect his glory and his character and beauty in our lives. So we mean a lot to God from the overflow of his delight, not to compensate for a need, right? And so he is God. We're not. He's perfectly independent. We're needy. He's absolutely self-sufficient, self-existent. We're not. And we feel this every day because we have needs physically. We have needs emotionally. We have needs relationally. And on and on the list of our needs could go, right? Okay. So we're about 10 minutes into the sermon. I don't know that I've said anything to this point that in some way you didn't already know. 
Like, I think many of us kind of know, oh yeah, God's really big. I'm not him. He's self-sufficient. I'm needy. I think all of us kind of go, check that box. I got that, right? Our problem here isn't a deficient sort of knowledge on God. That's not our problem. I've said some things you're, you're familiar with. In fact, we tend to like the things I just talked about. We tend to gravitate toward that. We want things about God's power and about God's control. We want that kind of stuff as wall decor in our houses. We want those sort of things as like bumper stickers on our car. God's in control, right? I'm driving on I-40. And we gravitate toward that. So, so it's not a lack of knowledge. Here's where our need comes. When it comes to God's self-sufficiency, we know this. But our problem is we don't want these truths to shape us. So here's what I mean. We want a big vision of God, so long as that comes with a really big vision of us too. We want a really strong vision of God, so long as that comes with an equally strong vision of us too, right? We want that. And what we tend to do is squirm underneath and buck against any view of ourselves that's deficient and needy. We don't like that. This is why Taylor Swift is a cultural icon. Women everywhere, girls everywhere flock to her because all of her songs are boys are the worst, men are the worst, we've got bad blood. (laughs) I don't need anyone, I don't need anything, hear me roar, Taylor Swift, right? I'm not gonna sell my songs on digital media. This is, this is, right? And they have men on the other side. This is why men, there's a stereotype for a reason we refuse to read instruction manuals and stop to ask for directions because everything in us wants to scream, I got this. I got it. I can do it. So in a fallen world, things like neediness and brokenness, they make us really nervous. And here's why. Because too many times we've been let down by people who in our minds shouldn't have let us down. Too many times we've been let down by people who told us that they never would. And so now as a kind of a pendulum swing, what we do is we're now attracted to things like strength and sufficiency. We want these things. And so we believe in God because we resonate with those things about him. Because we feel our neediness. We feel it. We're trying to avoid it, but we feel it. And so we're attracted to strength and sufficiency But if we're not careful, here's what ends up happening. We reduce God to be this example for us of how it is that we're gonna become awesome. Though we'll call him our savior. He becomes the sort of motivational slogan for us, right? So we'll call him our provider, but what we really wanna do is just have him as a model for how it is that we're gonna make it, how it is that we're gonna pull ourselves up, how it is that we're not going to suffocate. We just want him to be a motivational slogan for us. So we really believe in him, but here's here's where it comes down. We believe, yet there's this tendency in us with pride. We go, I love these things about God, but I also also wanna try and do it myself and have this, this chance of failing rather than go all the way with God and really rely on him because I'm not sure that he's gonna come through for me. So I'd rather try myself and have a chance of failing because at least at that point, I only have myself to blame and I don't have to deal with harder questions about God. 
So do you see these inconsistencies in us? Very often we want to confess one thing about God, but we live out another reality. So I might say it this way. Your greatest ongoing sin, my greatest ongoing sin, the ongoing sin of every person on the planet is an attempt to be God. It's the greatest ongoing sin. So what happens is we carry out our lives and all the while we have this underlying fear of feeling helpless. We carry out our lives and all the while there's this undercurrent of fear that I would ever show up and appear to be weak. We fear that if I ever confess dependency in any way, that that will be the eventual ongoing defining mark of my life. So everyone in the room today, at different levels and at different places, everyone in the room today, we all have this common fear of being exposed. Everyone has this fear of being found out, right? And so even though we know we're not God, we know this, like we're not him, but we spend most of our lives trying to prove ourselves and show ourselves to be strong and able. Think about the ways that we do this. We'll paint on a smile and we'll fake our way through another Sunday to show everyone that we're okay. Hey, brother, doing just fine. All the while on the inside, you know that you're denying your need for honesty. We'll take out another line of credit just to keep up with appearances and show the world, hey, we have all the stuff too. And we'll deny our need for financial stability and we'll just tell ourselves, I just need more time. We'll work later and later into the night. We'll work more and more hours just to achieve a certain definition of success that has been defined for us or that we've created ourselves. All the while we deny our need for rest. So we're one of the richest natures in the world, the world's ever known. And yet we're anxious, we're depressed. We're running ourselves in the ground, denying a need for rest. One more, just to make it even more chipper in the room. We will obsess ourselves with body image and we'll end up starving ourselves into a smaller number on the scale just so we can feel attractive and like we're worth something. All the while, we deny our need for pure and true beauty found outside of ourselves. But we're all right. We're all right. At least we say so. Or maybe here's what I think is more true. We've just come to learn to cope with these frustrations. So we'll have this kind of tagline, all things considered, I'm doing just fine, right? There's a song about that. All things considered. And so here's, here's what's interesting. It's precisely right here precisely at this point where we've all been exposed. And f- listen, if I, have any, if I have any ability to describe any of this kind of stuff, it feels like I'm tapping on something, it's only because I see this stuff in myself too. Let, let me just kind of be really honest and kind of give you my own fear in the room. I have this fear every single week of not being able to live up to my own preaching and being found out to be a fraud someday. I too am very acquainted with what it looks like to paint on a smile. I'm acquainted with this. 
But it's right here that the gospel speaks to us. It's right here at this point that our big vision of God and our theology introduces our humanity to us and frees us to be right there. Because here's the truth. Everyone in this room, you've already been found out. You've already been exposed. Your worst fear is a reality. You've already been outed. You can't hide from God. He sees you, he knows you into those darkest places that you want to avoid or pretend that no one can ever know about. He sees you right there. Listen, God knows you're not a superhuman and he's never asked you to be one. Never asked you to be one. He sees your human neediness and he's not embarrassed of you. He's not ashamed of you. He's not disappointed in you. And this is the message of Hebrews chapter two. The words will be on the screen. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom, the self-sufficient God, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, he made the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Look at verse 11. For he, speaking of Jesus, he who sanctifies, which means makes us holy, for he, Jesus, who makes us holy and those who are made holy, sanctified, it says we have one source. This is why my favorite verse in the Bible. This is why he's not ashamed to call us brothers. This is huge. So the self-sufficient God, creator of all things, sustainer of all things, he's not ashamed of you and your humanity and your limitations. In fact, he sent his son to join you in that stuff. He sent his son to join you there. So he's not waiting for you to find a way to get to him. He sent his son to us to lift our eyes to him. Jesus, some of you just need to hear this today. Jesus is not ashamed to call you brother. He's not ashamed to call you sister. He's not ashamed of your neediness. He joined us in it. 33 years living on the same busted earth just like us. He's not ashamed of you there. He's well acquainted with us there. He's not sitting up in heaven, resurrected from the dead, wondering when you're going to get this whole thing figured out. It's not happening. So let me say it this way. You and I were never meant to ask forgiveness for our neediness. We often feel that's the case, right? God, forgive me. I know... uh, You were never meant to ask forgiveness of your neediness or the places you feel broken. You don't ask forgiveness for that. No, our need for forgiveness comes from all the ways we've sought to fix ourselves apart from God. That's that's where our need for forgiveness is, right? Like your need for, your need and your brokenness is not a surprise to God. That's why Jesus came in the first place. So now the self-sufficiency, the self-existence of God sets us free to be unashamedly needy and dependent. In fact, here's the reality. God made it that way. In fact, any other illusion you have of yourself as strong and able, it's just that, an illusion. God sets you free in who he is to be who you are unashamedly dependent. And this this is where the whole thing resolves for us. Because the economy of God and in his kingdom is vastly different than our normal instincts. So here's what the world's gonna say. This is the mantra that you and I have grown up with. That you're gonna grow up and here's what maturity looks like. Maturity looks like becoming less and less dependent and more and more self-sufficient. But the pathway of maturity in the kingdom of God 
is flipped. The pathway of maturity in the kingdom of God, sure, you grow up into responsibility and you grow up into accountability, but all the while you're becoming increasingly aware of how dependent you really are to accomplish any of that stuff and how dependent you've always been. So think about Jesus. Has there been anyone who's ever lived who, who lived a more sober, more real, more truly human life? No. And yet, over and over again in the gospel accounts, over and over again, we see Jesus running to the Father for help. We see Jesus dependent upon his Father, stowing away to, to desolate places, private places to pray and ask for wisdom. So if the Son of God, Jesus the Christ, sees himself needy and dependent upon the Father, why do we think we're different? They, confession of dependence and need for God is not somehow taking on a lesser form of discipleship or a lesser form of humanity. Dependence on God is actually stepping in to what it means to be truly human. Like that's true humanity. That's Jesus the Christ, right? Okay, so we breathe for a second because I know this sermon runs against the grain. <laughs> this is a hard one. This runs against the grain of what we like to think because no one signed up today to come to church to say, you know what I want to hear about? Dependence and need. In fact, you probably came to church to find out how you can get out of that kind of stuff. What we want is peace and tranquility. That's what we want, which is honestly why I think most of us are exhausted because here's what we're doing. We're running around trying to do everything we can, buying things, acquiring relationships, having job promotions. We're just taking vacations. We're doing everything we can to find a moment of peace and tranquility. Yet consistently, we might get a glimpse of it, but consistently we find ourselves coming up lacking. And then we're exhausted because we look around and it seems like everyone else around us is smiling and doing just fine. And then it gets worse for us. We cave in and go, maybe I'm the only one who doesn't get it. I'll never forget a moment early in my ministry. I was 22. I was a brand new student minister. I was taking a group of students to summer camp. And uh, I was made aware before I went on the trip that there's a student in the ministry who um, every Thursday night, the last night of camp, cry night, affectionately known as, um, he would receive the preacher's invitation to give his life to Jesus. He'd done this every year. Go forward to get saved, right? And sure enough, Thursday night came around and a student kind of comes out of the aisle and walks, walks down to receive Jesus. So I go down there, brand new student minister. And I start talking with him and I say, hey, what's going on? He goes, I, I need to get saved. And uh, I said, well, why do you need to do that? And he goes, well, I, don't, I fear I'm not a Christian. I said, well, tell me what, why you think that? And he said, because I've got these temptations that are raging in me all the time. I've got these thoughts and these impulses that are raging in me all the time against a life that God doesn't have for me. I remember looking back at him and I go, me too. And he says, no, no, no. His face begins to drop a little bit. No, 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 no. I don't think you understand. There are moments where I feel like my life is five seconds from spinning out of control. And I look back at him and I go, me too. And it's like he looked back at me with like, you're the worst student minister ever. <laughs> he says, I don't think you understand. I don't think you understand. 
If someone could prove to me, he said, that the bones of Jesus were still in the ground, I would leave this camp as fast as I could tomorrow, go home and get my hands on every bit of pleasure I could find, get drunk and high and you name it. And I looked back at him and I said, me too. But do you believe the bones of Jesus are still in the ground? He said, no, that's why I have all this fighting in me all the time. I looked back and I just said, he had tears running on his face. I said, what you're experiencing is the normal Christian life. This need and this longing and this yearning for God all the time that if he doesn't come through, I'm not gonna make it. You don't need to get saved. You need to be reminded you actually are. You actually are. So hear this today. Because of the good news of Jesus, weakness, dependency, and neediness, these aren't badges of shame like we typically wear them to be. No, weakness, dependence, and neediness are markers for us that show us where Jesus has actually been victorious for us, that they don't define me. Broken body, shed blood defines me. Those things are proof to us that the cross and the empty tomb really were for us. Jesus wrote a check for our sins. The empty tomb proves the check cleared. The check cleared. It was for us. Our need is precisely the place where we come to see God has adopted me. I'm not an orphan anymore. I really have a father and not a father who abuses or abandons or shames. Not a father like that. But God is a father who cares for us, who's present there with us and who gladly provides for us, even though sometimes it feels like he's not. That's the kind of father he is. And so the whole move of the Christian life is increasingly and deeper into neediness, not away from it. The whole Christian life is moving us this direction. To become a Christian means I'm saying, I'm saying no to my pseudo kingdom and yes to the real actual kingdom of God. And I'm just now growing up to find out how bad I really need that. And remember, weakness and need, those are the perfect ingredients where a real relationship between father and son, father and daughter are established and grows. God made it this way for us. So here's how I want to end today. I want to end by just kind of giving a few diagnostic questions to kind of help us sort through kind of where we are in this kind of stuff. Where where are we in an attempt to cast off our dependency and need? So here's the first question. Where in your life, where in your life have you grown prayerless? Like where in your life have you ceased to pray in an effort just to fix it yourself? I'm not going to bring that to God anymore because I've got a plan. Where's that? Here's a second question. Where in your life, where in your life are you finding yourself consistently angry and losing your temper? Because very often anger surfaces in us when we feel limitations and we don't want to feel them. But listen, limitations 
aren't a moment to compensate for yourself. Limitations are a moment to rely on God, or invitation to find God to be better. Here's a third one. Where in your life are you working as hard as you possibly can to avoid honesty? Where in your life are you afraid that if you tell the truth, the whole thing might just eject on you? God or other people? If you told the truth, last one, where in your life are you finding yourself to be exhausted? Where's the area where you just find yourself consistently exhausted and depleted from running around trying to meet all of the expectations? See, wherever, whatever keeps surfacing there as those questions are being asked, those are the places where Jesus is inviting us to hear afresh. Come follow me. Come follow me. You don't have to pretend they're not there. Come follow me and let me provide for you. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my teaching is easy, and my burden is light.